Can't sleep? Won't sleep? Afraid to sleep? Perhaps what you need is a story, a bedtime story, to lull you into the world of dreams, or maybe nightmares. Are the windows closed? Are your doors locked? Maybe you should keep a light on in the hallway, just in case. Now settle in, make yourself comfortable, lay back, close your eyes, and let me tell you a story. Everybody loves a mystery, but what about the mystery behind the mystery? Not so much the whodunit, but how did they know he did it? That's what Private Detective Isaac Black and his assistant Jeremy White are being asked to help the police with. It's a small matter, but for some reason, it takes the perceptions of a blind man to see what everyone else is missing. The Incarnadine Teacup you say you have the murderer in custody? Isaac Black asked. That's correct, Detective Brown replied. You have the motive, the weapon, physical evidence, even a confession, Isaac said questioningly. Yes, the case is all wrapped up and the killer's in custody, the detective confirmed. Then why the hell are we here? Jeremy White asked. Detective Brown looked at Isaac, who grinned curiously as he adjusted the dark glasses that hid his sightless eyes. Aren't you going to tell me why I brought you in on this case? He asked the blind man. Yes, yeah, since the detective is being so mysterious, please do enlighten us, Jeremy goaded his companion. All right, Isaac said. He turned unerringly in Detective Brown's direction. We're here because you don't know how you solved the case. What? Jeremy asked. How could he not know how we solved it? It's solved. I'm sure there were clues and such. Isaac cocked an inquisitive eyebrow at the police detective. He's right, Brown confirmed. We only knew where to find the evidence and that there had been a murder at all, because one of the residents here detailed the whole crime before anyone knew that one had even been committed. Jeremy looked around. They were in the common area of a retirement home. A host of septuagenarians, octogenarians, and likely a few nonagenarians sat in various couches, armchairs, and wheelchairs. Some were watching a game show on television. Others were playing cards and at one table, a quartet of old ladies were drinking tea around a mosaic of mahjong tiles. In his previous career as a nurse, Jeremy White had worked in a facility like this one, assisting the elderly, caring for their needs, both mental and physical. That was until he accepted a very unique assignment through the Amaranth Foundation for the Deaf and Blind, helping with the rehabilitation of a policeman who had been blinded after being shot in the head. The detective, Isaac Black, hadn't considered his miraculous survival a blessing, though, at least not in the beginning. When Jeremy first met him, he was depressed and seemed determined to thwart anyone's attempts to help him. So Jeremy acceded to Isaac's wishes. Whenever Isaac would say that he was hungry or needed to go to the bathroom, or made some other demand, Jeremy would calmly and clearly describe the steps Isaac would need to accomplish the task himself. Eventually, Jeremy broke through Isaac's stubbornness, and despite the loss of his sight, he became amazingly adept at navigating his apartment and subsequently the world around him. But it was when the president of the foundation, Lydia Rosenblum, started bringing her little puzzles to Isaac that he found his renewed purpose. At first it was simple things like helping find lost items, solving small mysteries, 
challenges that engaged his mind in the same way that had made him one of the most successful detectives in the Chicago Police Department. Then one day his old partner, Brown, had reached out to get Isaac's opinion on a seemingly uncrackable case. Isaac solved it in the course of an afternoon, and ever since then he, with Jeremy's assistance, had been helping the police with their toughest unsolved crimes. However, at present, they were being called in on a case that required Isaac's innate deductive reasoning for a completely different purpose. Which woman was it that related the details of the crime? Isaac asked. Brown shook his head, partially in amazement, but mostly in frustration at being unable to stymie Isaac's uncanny ability to fill in the blanks without, it seems sometimes, any supporting information at all. Come on now, that was a guess, he accused. I never said it was a woman. Isaac smiled. That's precisely how I knew, he explained. You purposefully left out the sex of the witness, hoping to lead me to believe it was a woman, so that I would assume you were trying to mislead me into thinking it was the opposite, and conclude it was a man. There we go, it was a woman. He guessed, Jeremy confirmed. Yes, well, I assume you want to speak with her. In a moment. First, I want to go to the crime scene. This way, Detective Brown said, pointing them in the direction of a hallway where a uniformed police officer was stationed. They walked through the common area to a wide corridor where the residents' private rooms were located. Jeremy described every detail in a low voice to Isaac as they continued toward one of the doors where another policeman was stationed. Whenever Isaac was in a new place, his assistant would relate the salient aspects of their surroundings, allowing Isaac to build a mental map to the point of enabling him to navigate the area without assistance. When they arrived at the guarded room, the officer opened the door for them and the police detective and his guests entered. Wow! Jeremy exclaimed upon seeing the contents of the room. I can't work with wow, Isaac reminded him. Sorry, where to begin? The room is about 12 by 16. The door to the bathroom is to our right. The bed is opposite. It's unmade. There's a lamp and a cell phone on the night table on this side of the bed. At the far end of the room is a pair of chairs with a low coffee table and a large screen television mounted on the wall opposite them. The curtains are mostly drawn, but I can see a lawn through an opening in the drapes. Magazines on the coffee table, investing in current events. In the space past the bathroom, there's a small kitchenette, small fridge, sink, toaster oven, and a table with two chairs. When he finished, Isaac turned to Jeremy as if waiting for him to say something else. That's about it, Jeremy concluded. You said wow when we walked in. I didn't hear anything that would justify that exclamation. Oh, that was regarding his apparent complete lack of style. The bedspread is red, the chairs in front of the television are turquoise, and the coffee table looks like gray formica. Kitchen table and chairs are an avocado green, the walls are a dingy yellow, his lampshade is orange, the phone case is pink, and there's a throw rug next to the bed that is a pattern of earth tones. Trust me, you're lucky you're blind. This room hurts my eyes. Detective Brown chuckled. Thank you, Isaac said. I assume the victim was found dead in his bed. Yes, that's right, Brown confirmed. Aren't you going to tell us what his favorite food was and how many times a week he shaved? Isaac smiled. Toast with butter and jam, and he shaved every day. Jeremy scoffed. Okay, the food part was easy. There's a toaster and a fridge, and the residents aren't likely to be allowed to have beer in the room, so obviously he used it to keep the butter and jam chilled. But we didn't look in the bathroom. He's obviously a bachelor, Isaac remarked. What makes you think he wouldn't want to look nice for the ladies? Jeremy looked at Detective Brown for confirmation. The victim was clean-shaven, the policeman said with a sigh. I'm ready to talk to your witness now, Isaac proclaimed, then spun around and walked out of the room and back down the hallway toward the common area. Jeremy and Detective Brown rushed to catch up with him. Isaac wound his way through the maze of chairs and tables, 
until he arrived at the large round table where a group of women were playing mahjong. Good afternoon, ladies, he said. Which one of you is the psychic? Three of the ladies looked up at Isaac, then glanced at the fourth woman, who was arranging her tiles in an ever-changing order. Jeremy stepped close to Isaac. In situations like this, Isaac preferred him to incorporate his descriptions into the conversation. Hello, my name is Jeremy and this is Isaac, he began. That's a lovely dress you have on. Is pink your favorite color? He asked the woman who was playing with her tiles. She ignored the question and instead said, I like toast too. Okay, Jeremy said. He surveyed the rest of the women and noticed that they all had cell phones set in front of them. A sign of the times, he assumed. He gestured at the devices, all individualized, with cases of varying colors and designs. Have I seen you ladies on TikTok? He asked, then snapped his fingers as if recalling something. You're the ones who do those sexy dance moves. I recognize your fancy phone cases. The woman giggled demurely. Where's my tea? The other one asked. It's right there, Gladys. The woman to her right said, sliding the pink teacup at her elbow in front of her. Gladys reacted as if the incarnadine vessel had appeared out of thin air, then lifted it to her lips and took a small sip. She looked up and noticed Isaac, Jeremy, and Detective Brown standing across from her. I like pink, she said, holding up the cup. You should get a pink case for your phone instead of the gray one, Jeremy suggested. She looked at him, unresponsive. Jeremy leaned forward and pointed at her phone. You should get that in pink, he repeated. Gladys looked at her phone as if it was the first time she had seen it. That's not mine, she insisted and pushed it aside. That's your witness? Jeremy asked Detective Brown. He nodded. Yes, according to the Mahjong Club here, she just started jabbering about someone demanding to know where the money was, and that he would never find it. She started shouting for Leonard to leave him alone. Leonard is the killer, Isaac interjected. Yes, obviously, Brown said. Then she went on about how Leonard was choking poor Mr. Wilson. The victim, he added, before Isaac could jump in. Then the orderly, Leonard Cook, came running down the hallway from Mr. Wilson's room. Gladys here stood up and pointed at him, shouting, He killed him! He killed Mr. Wilson! How in the world did she know that? Jeremy asked. That's why you guys are here. I'm a little hesitant to put in my report that a psychic old lady fingered him, the detective replied. She's not psychic. She's just off her meds, one of Gladys's companions said. She's been acting weird all day. In what way? Isaac asked. Oh, off in her own little world, ignoring us, talking to people who aren't there. And how long have she and Mr. Wilson been boyfriend and girlfriend? Isaac asked. Shh! Another woman in the group warned, glancing around to make sure none of the other residents had overheard. That's a secret, she said. Ruth Hamilton thinks she's his girlfriend, but he only had eyes for Gladys. How did you know that? The third woman asked Isaac. Who told you? No one, Isaac assured them. She mentioned that she likes toast. I imagine he would make her some in his room from time to time. Every morning, the woman confirmed. Then he would bring her out here to play mahjong and go back to his room to watch his news shows. But I really think she liked him more than the toast. She always complained that the crumbs got in her dentures. Maybe Ruth Hamilton put Leonard up to it, Jeremy suggested. Isaac and Brown shook their heads dismissively. Just a theory, Jeremy added defensively. Maybe the medications she's on have been suppressing a latent psychic ability. And when she didn't take them this morning, it woke up that part of her brain. And she... Stop talking, Jeremy, Isaac said. Well, I don't hear you coming up with any theories. I don't need a theory. I know exactly what happened, he declared. Thank goodness, Brown said quietly. Let's wrap this up. I don't like being around this many old people. I'll be right back, Isaac said. Then left Jeremy's side and walked down the center of the hallway to the murder victim's room, entered briefly, then returned. 
He looked over at Gladys. I'm sorry for your loss, he said to her. Thank you, dear, she replied. But when you get to be my age, it happens all the time. How did you do that? Brown asked. I've been questioning her all day and I couldn't get her to respond to a single question. Did you slip her meds in her tea earlier? Jeremy asked. Seriously, White, Detective Brown remarked. Do you think I wouldn't have checked that out already? I spoke with the nurse who gave Gladys her morning pills. She said she took them without complaint. I like Nurse Judy, Gladys said. She's nice. She gives me applesauce with my pills. Makes it easier to swallow them. She's not under-medicated, Isaac told his assistant. She's just a little deaf. Deaf? Brown asked. She seems to be hearing us just fine right now. Of course, Isaac replied. From his pocket, he pulled out the phone with the pink case that had been on the victim's night table and placed it in front of Gladys. You found my phone, the old woman exclaimed. Jeremy's face lit up with revelation. Of course, damn it, Isaac. How do you always make it seem so obvious? I feel like an idiot I didn't see it earlier. I still feel like an idiot, Brown confessed. What am I missing here? Hearing aids, Jeremy explained. The new ones are Bluetooth enabled. You can connect them to your phone and use its microphone instead of the one on the aid. It's so much clearer, one of the ladies at the table said. She pulled back her carefully coiffed gray hair, showing the device nestled in her ear. We all have them. Then the police detective finally put it all together. Aha, so when Gladys had toast with Mr. Wilson this morning, she left her phone behind and heard everything that was going on in the room as it happened. But how did she confuse her phone for his? She didn't, Isaac said. It was Mr. Wilson who mixed them up when he walked her back. Certainly, it's obvious to you both that only a colorblind man would have picked out the clash and decor Jeremy described to me. To him, a pink phone case would look like a gray one and vice versa. He always had mismatched socks on, one of the Mahjong players chimed in. That explains why Gladys was acting weird all day. She wasn't hearing anything going on around her. Just what Mr. Wilson was watching on TV, Jeremy realized. Precisely, Isaac confirmed. Well, thank you again, Detective Brown said. I almost feel like that was so obvious I shouldn't have to pay you for solving this one. You're not paying me for solving it, Isaac said. You're paying me not to tell anyone you didn't figure it out on your own. Detective Brown smiled. Pleasure doing business with you, Mr. Black. He turned and scurried out of the retirement home as quickly as he could. Are you boys single? One of the women asked. Or are you together? Another inquired. Yes and no, Jeremy answered quickly then checked his watch and turned to Isaac. We really should be going. We've got that thing. Ah, yes, the thing, Isaac said with a grin that Jeremy knew meant Isaac would hold his cooperation in beating a hasty retreat from the matchmaking mahjongers over him at some point in the future. Isaac placed a hand on Jeremy's shoulder and allowed him to guide him out of the facility into the afternoon sun. You know, if you keep turning down offers from old ladies to set you up with their granddaughters and nieces, you'll end up spending your golden years with me. Isaac cautioned his assistant. Maybe by then they'll have invented seeing aids and you won't need me anymore. Isaac stopped in his tracks. Jeremy spun around to face him, seeing that his employer and friend had a serious look on his face. I hope you know that if that did happen, it wouldn't change things between us. I wouldn't mind growing old with you. You're my best friend. Jeremy squeezed Isaac's arm affectionately. Thanks, Isaac. That means a lot. They continued walking toward a waiting taxi. Besides... Isaac added, you're finally making the eggs the way I like them. Thank you for listening to The Incarnadine Teacup, written especially for the Bedtime Stories for Insomniac's Fiction podcast by Rich Hosek. Please remember to subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Rate us on Apple, Spotify, and Audible. 
and share these stories with your friends or anyone who enjoys audiobooks. Speaking of audiobooks, if you're a fan of the paranormal, Near Death, a rainy day investigation is currently being serialized on this very podcast. New chapters are posted weekly, and you can find an entertaining review by Tom Baker on the One Hour Book Club podcast. If you're looking for other original story podcasts, check out isreadbyme.com. They have an eclectic mix of fiction, poetry, and essays that are sure to keep you entertained, all read by the authors. Thanks again, and all the very best.